ReachMD XM157 now presents this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health. The major cardiovascular diseases have at their core hypertension and atherosclerosis. Both of these are strongly impacted by diet. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Godfrey Getz. Dr. Getz is the Donald Pritzker Distinguished Service Professor of Pathology at the University of Chicago. He is on the editorial board of Arteriosclerosis, Thrombosis, and Vascular Biology and the American Journal of Pathology. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Getz. Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be with you. Dr. Getz, can you please fill us in on how cholesterol and lipoprotein dysfunction play a role in atherosclerosis? Well, perhaps I could start off by talking a little bit about atherosclerosis. Okay. Atherosclerosis is a chronic inflammation of the large blood vessels, like the coronaries, the aorta, the carotid, and this inflammation is characterized by having lots of lipid in it, mostly cholesterol. The cholesterol gets there mostly from the plasma, from the bloodstream, where it is carried by lipoproteins. And as you probably know, there are two major forms of lipoprotein, low-density lipoprotein and high-density lipoprotein. And the low-density lipoprotein is the culprit in transporting cholesterol from the blood into the blood vessel wall. The high-density lipoprotein is thought to be a carrier of cholesterol in the opposite direction from the vessel wall back into the blood and then to the liver for disposal. So low-density lipoprotein promotes atherosclerosis and high-density lipoprotein in general reverses atherosclerosis. This, of course, leads us then to dietary fatty acids. How do they differ with respect to cardiovascular disease? Well, there are four classes of fatty acids that we have to think about. There are the saturated fatty acids, which are found mostly in milk products, milk and milk fat. They're probably the culprits, at least in part, along with cholesterol. There are unsaturated fatty acids, which may be of three different kinds. They're the monounsaturated fatty acids, which the characteristic oil that contains a lot of these fatty acids is olive oil. There are two kinds of polyunsaturated fatty acids. The first is called N6. And linoleic acid, which is present in large quantities in soybean oil and corn oil, is relatively protective. And then there's a special kind of polyunsaturated fatty acid, which is found in fish oil. It's commonly referred to among experts as the N3 fatty acids, and the American Heart Association likes these very much, and they advocate that people should take at least two fatty fish meals a week to provide this kind of fatty acid. And finally, the worst culprit are the fatty acids that the food industry have produced in order to try and improve the storage ability of unsaturated fatty acids. And what they've done in the past is to hydrogenate the fatty acids to make them a bit more solid and more easily stored. And it's turned out that what they produce as a result of this procedure is trans-unsaturated fatty acids. And these are probably more pathogenic than the saturated fatty acids even. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. 
I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Godfrey Getz. We are discussing nutrition in cardiovascular disease. Dr. Getz, let's talk about nutrient determination of vascular responsiveness. Yeah, the big problem with atherosclerosis is that it potentially, in the long run, blocks the smooth flow of blood through the blood vasculature. And what you want is a blood vessel that's capable of adapting to any infringement on its lumen. Most arteries are capable of expanding their lumen by undergoing dilation. Now, one of the early things that happens with a high serum cholesterol is that the adaptability of the artery with respect to its lumen size is reduced. And that's probably due to the interference with the production of nitric oxide, which is produced in the cells lining the blood vessel. There are a number of things that interfere with nitric oxide production. And when one interferes with the nitric oxide production by these cells that line the blood vessels, one encounters an inappropriate stiffening of the artery. Well, that's to say an inability to expand to make the adaptation that most of us can make. One of the nutrients that contributes to the formation of nitric oxide is the amino acid arginine. Arginine is a semi-essential amino acid present in the diet, but the precise relationship between the arginine consumption in the diet and the production of good nitric oxide is not absolutely clear. It's quite complex. What is your lab doing now to further enhance these quite complicated interlinkages between the fatty acids, cholesterol, nutrients, and the vessel walls? My lab is devoted to exclusively to work in experimental animals. And I should have mentioned probably earlier on that in order to induce atherosclerosis in experimental animals, you almost universally have to produce an elevation in the serum cholesterol, which provides very good evidence along with a lot of genetic evidence that serum cholesterol is a major culprit in the production of atherosclerosis. So we work exclusively with mice, and we manipulate the genes of mice and the diets of mice in order to see how we can modify their development of atherosclerosis. One issue that we're particularly interested in is the role of the immune system in regulating both lipoprotein metabolism and the genesis of atherosclerosis. I remind you that atherosclerosis is an inflammatory disease, so it's not surprising that the immune system plays some role in its genesis. And what avenues are you pursuing? I'm just writing a paper at the moment about the effects of safflower oil, which is high in polyunsaturated fatty acid, compared with milk fat on the development of atherosclerosis in mice that are either fully competent to respond with the immune system or mice that are incompetent to respond, that have an incompetent immune system. And we find very interesting differences between these two sets of mice, but nevertheless, the amount of lesion that's produced by the high polyunsaturated fatty acid diet is substantially reduced. What particularly interests us in our lab is that the reduction in atherosclerosis is not always uniform in all sites at which atherosclerosis develops. You remember that atherosclerosis might occur in the coronary arteries, in the aorta, in the carotid arteries, 
and they don't always respond in precisely the same way. So we're trying to sort out why it is that different vascular beds, different arteries, respond to our manipulations in somewhat distinct fashions. Are there potential future targets for intervention here? Yes, if we understood the mechanism in more detail than we currently do, indeed there are. There are a whole host of targets, and the targets could be either at the level of the lipoprotein metabolism or at the level of the blood vessel wall. In general, whenever serum cholesterol goes up, there's increased atherosclerosis in experimental animals as well as in patients. However, there are circumstances in which these two are not correlated. That's to say, you might get either an increase or decrease of atherosclerosis, even with high serum cholesterol, depending upon what's going on in the vessel wall, such as the changes in immune function. If you were to have a crystal ball, Dr. Getz, what do you see in the future in this area, the complex relationships between nutrition and cardiovascular disease? What might we learn in the future? Well, I think one of the things that I should have emphasized earlier is that all of these effects on lipoproteins and effects on atherosclerosis are lifelong effects. In many cases, they start early in life. So we know that atherosclerosis begins in an asymptomatic fashion long before a patient might come and see a clinician. And by long before, I mean 30 years or 40 years before, they might consult a clinician about vascular disease. And that tells us that intervention and understanding of lipoproteins and atherosclerosis early on in life is very important. I grew up in South Africa and black people in South Africa had diets that were much more prudent than the diets that are consumed even today by them. And I never saw, when I was in medical school, I never saw a coronary artery thrombosis in a patient who was black, not one. And today, of course, as the diet has changed, they're just as susceptible as any of us. The literature is strewn with information of migratory populations, changes in diet in which patients, even with the same genetic background, develop atherosclerosis as they change their diets. A very interesting observation has been made recently. Everybody knows about the statins. These are frequently used in the treatment of high serum cholesterol. Most often they're used when patients present themselves with some indication that they're developing cardiovascular disease. And the statins will lower the low-density lipoprotein cholesterol and they'll reduce the amount of cardiovascular disease. And the way that the statins work, I should mention, is by increasing the cell surface molecules or receptors that take up low-density lipoprotein from the plasma, thus reducing the amount of low-density lipoprotein. But there's a protein that's made by the liver that affects how much low-density lipoprotein receptor is available. And there's always a balance between new synthesis of low-density lipoprotein and receptor and removal of this receptor. Recently, a mutation has been discovered which interferes with the removal process. And that's not an uncommon mutation. And people who have that mutation have quite low serum cholesterols for their whole lifetimes. And they have much, much less atherosclerosis than the average population. And so this is an additional target with statins that would help to essentially prevent the development of atherosclerosis if we had the right kind of inhibitor of this 
of this molecule that degrades the receptor that takes up low-density lipoprotein. If we had such an inhibitor, and this has been pointed out by Brown and Goldstein, who won the, the Nobel Prize for their work on low-density lipoprotein receptor, if we had such an inhibitor, we'd have a very powerful tool along with the statins for preventing, essentially preventing atherosclerosis. Indeed. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Pleasure. We've been discussing the intimate relationship between what we eat and the development of cardiovascular disease with our guest, Dr. Godfrey Getz. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.